Welcome to Episode 7 in the AIC Seasonal Video Series, Trinity Tide, The Teaching Season. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church. The focus of Episode 7 is the Collect Epistle and Gospel readings for the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th Sundays after Trinity Previously in this series, in episode one, presented in two parts, my focus was on the history of Trinity season, the relationship between Whitsunday Pentecost and Trinity season, the Collect Canticles Epistle and Gospel readings for Whitsunday and Monday, and Tuesday in Whitsun Week. In episode two, the focus was on Trinity Sunday and the first and second Sundays after Trinity, in episode three on the third through fifth Sundays after Trinity, in episode four on the sixth through eighth Sundays, and in episode five on the ninth through eleventh. In these first five episodes, or first four of the first five, two through five, I mentioned a selection of the eleven hymns to the Holy Trinity in the AIC bookstore publication, the St. Chrysostom Hymnal, that are not included in the Venerable 1940 Hymnal. In Episode 6, the focus was on 12th through 15th Sundays after Trinity. The illustration is a circa 1420 A.D. tempera and gilt on panel icon by the renowned Russian icon painter Andrei Rubelyov, originally painted for the iconostasis at Holy Trinity Cathedral at the Monastery of St. Sergius in Sergeya Posad, Russia. As I pointed out in earlier episodes, Rubelyov used the three figures who appeared to Abraham under the oak of Mamre, recorded in Genesis 18, verses 1 to 8, to avoid violating the traditional ban upon any image of God the Father, a tradition still honored in the Eastern Church, but which ended in the Western Church in the Renaissance era. The collect for 16th Sunday after Trinity was adapted by Archbishop Cranmer for the 1549 Book of Common Prayer for the, from the Gelasian Sacramentary. For the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, the word church was substituted for congregation in the 1549 text. I explained the reasons in episode 3 in the discussion of the Collect for Fifth Sunday after Trinity, to which the same change was made for the same reason. This prayer for the church was undoubtedly influenced by Ephesians 3, verses 13 to 21, the epistle reading for 16th Sunday after Trinity. O Lord, we beseech thee, let thy continual pity cleanse and defend thy church, and because it cannot continue in safety without thy succor, preserve it evermore by thy help and goodness, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The illustration is a detail from James Tissot's late 19th century watercolor, The Raising of the Son of the Widow of Nain. The miracle of the resuscitation of the Son is the subject of the Gospel reading for this Sunday. 
The epistle reading for 16th Sunday after Trinity moves the cycle of readings based on the Gelasian Sacramentary along to the next epistle in the canonical order of the Pauline epistles. The pericope, Ephesians 3, 13-21, is an impassioned prayer for the church as a body of the faithful in which St. Paul rephrases what he had called the mystery of Christ in the first 12 verses, which are the epistle reading for Epiphany, celebrated on January 6th. In verse 16, he calls for the people to be strengthened with might by the Spirit. In verse 17, for Christ dwelling in their hearts by faith. In verses 17b to 19a, for their comprehension of the breadth and length and depth and height of Christ's love and in verse 19b, for the sharing with them of the, quote, fullness of God, unquote. The theological concept of fullness runs throughout the epistles of St. Paul. In verses 21 and 22, here quoted from the New King James text, he interrupts his own narrative with a benediction in the form of a doxology to God the Father, which has been quoted in prayers both by clergy and laity throughout the history of the church. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. The illustration is an 1897 to 1898 AD fresco by Friedrich Stummel and Karl Wenzel at the Roman Catholic Church of the Sacred Heart in Berlin, Germany. The Gospel reading for 16th Sunday after Trinity, Luke 7, verses 11 to 14, is St. Luke's unique account of the raising of the son of the widow of Nain. The location is the village of Nain in western Judea, which Jesus and many of his disciples and a crown have reached after leaving Capernaum in the middle of 28 AD, the second year of Jesus' public ministry. The illustration is a full view of raising of the son of the widow of Nain, an opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper by James Tissot, painted between 1886 and 1894 A.D. as part of his Life of Christ series, now in the collection of the Brooklyn Museum. In St. Luke's account, Jesus shows compassion in response to the widow's travail. Do not weep, he said to her in verse 13. Then spoke to the young man in the open coffin in verse 14, Young man, I say to you, arise. James Tissot's watercolor accurately reflects verse 15 of St. Luke's narrative in which the resuscitated young man sat up and began to speak. Jesus presented him to his mother, and St. Luke records in verse 16 that afterward, Fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. Here, fear has its theological meaning, which is the deep reverence toward God that is reflected in their glorifying the God who 
son raised the young man from the dead. This is technically a resuscitation and not a resurrection. Like Lazarus, the young man raised from the dead went on to die a normal death like all mankind. The collect for 17th Sunday after Trinity was derived by Archbishop Cramner in 1549 A.D. from the Gregorian Sacramentary's Prayers for Morning and Evening Services. It is the only collect in the Sundays after Trinity since Third Sunday after Trinity, which interrupts the use of Gelasian collects and readings. Here, the word prevent in the preface is used in its original Middle English meaning based upon, upon the Latin prevent, pre, preventus or to go before, a usage entirely consistent with the rest of the same sentence. Lord, we pray thee that thy grace may always prevent and follow us and make us continually to be given to all good works through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The illustration is a 5th century illumination with colored ink on parchment of St. Luke on the left and St. Mark on the right from the Freer Gospels, also known as the Codex Washingtoniensis, a set of all four canonical Gospels in the collection of the Freer Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. The Epistle reading for 17th Sunday after Trinity, Ephesians 4, 1-6, is the second reading from Ephesians according to the Gelasian model. It takes up where St. Paul left off before the benediction in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. It is a short pericope in which he stresses the unity of the Trinitarian faith based on mutual humility, meekness, and love, with, quote, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace in verse 3, with one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one, quote, God and Father of all, unquote. The illustration is an early 20th century mosaic of St. Paul by Joseph Kastner at the Carmelite Church in the Dobling section of Vienna, Austria. The Gospel reading for 17th Sunday after Trinity, Luke 14, 1-11, is the story of a healing on the Sabbath followed by the parable of the chief seats. Jesus and the traveling party are having a meal in the house of a Pharisee in the region of Perea, east of the Jordan River, in the winter of 29 A.D. into 30 A.D. The illustration is an illuminated miniature of St. Luke writing his gospel from the St. Augustine Gospels, a late 6th century gospel book which was started in Italy and soon thereafter moved to St. Augustine Abbey in Canterbury, England, where the work was completed. It has been in the collection of Corpus Christi College, Cambridge University, Cambridgeshire, England, for over a thousand years. There are two stories in the pericope. The first is Jesus' healing, objected to after the fact by the Pharisees, of a man with dropsy, which is an ailment involving painful swelling of the limbs. 
to counter their complaint against healing on the Sabbath, Jesus said to them in verse 5, here using the New King James text, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? St. Luke recorded in verse 6a that the Pharisees could give no answer. In their silence, Jesus offered the parable of the chief seats, which is unique to St. Luke's Gospel. It is a story of those who arrived early and took the best seats. Jesus counseled them instead to take lesser seats and wait the invitation of the host to take better ones. The message is found in verse 11, the closing verse, here again using the NKJV text. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The collect for 18th Sunday after Trinity was adapted by Archbishop Cranmer in the 1549 Book of Common Prayer from the Gelasian Sacramentary. The preamble was reworded into its present form in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. Lord, we beseech thee, grant thy people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and with pure hearts and minds to follow thee, the only God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The illustration is St. Matthew writing his gospel, a last quarter 15th century Russian Orthodox illumination in colored ink and gilt on parchment by a monk, Michael Medovartsev, from Gospel Manuscript Egerton 3045, Folio 10V, in the Byzantine Manuscript Collection of the British Library, London, England. The epistle reading for 18th Sunday after Trinity goes backward for only this one Sunday to St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. It is one of the shortest pericopes in Trinity season. St. Paul, before launching into his criticisms of the church at Corinth, writes of his own thankfulness that they have, by God's grace, receive sufficient knowledge and gifts to prepare them for the second coming, or the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 8b. The illustration is Michelangelo's larger-than-life oil on canvas, The Conversion of St. Paul, painted in between 1542 and 1545 at the Capella Paulino, or Chapel of St. Paul, in the Pontifical Palace at the Vatican in Rome, Italy. The Gospel reading for 18th Sunday after Trinity is Matthew 22, verses 34 to 46. Jesus and the disciples are in Jerusalem on Tuesday in Holy Week, 30 A.D., just three days before his crucifixion and death on Good Friday. The illustration is an illumination of St. Matthew writing his gospel from a late 15th century Russian book of the Gospels mentioned earlier. 
St. Matthew, previewing Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees as hypocrites in chapter 23, records that the frustrated Pharisees, seeing the failure of their associates, the Sadducees, to entrap Jesus, gathered and sent another lawyer to try again. In St. Matthew's account, there are two critical dialogues. The first is straightforward. The lawyer asks in verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? This must be understood in the context of the Pharisees' own calculation that there were 613 commandments which even they could not rank in importance. Jesus' answer in verse 37 to 40 in the New King James text is similar to the dialogue between Jesus and the lawyer regarding what to do to inherit eternal life in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, verses 25 to 35, and read on the 13th Sunday after Trinity. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The answer, known as the summary of the law, was incorporated using the King James text into the Holy Communion liturgy in the American 1789 Book of Common Prayer as an alternative to the reading of the full text of the commandments. The second dialogue, following from the first, marks a turning point in the Gospels and contains Jesus' clear assertion of his own divinity through a quotation from Psalm 110, verse 1, which is the most important evidence of Christology or references to Christ in the Old Testament, also called a theophany. Here is the full exchange followed by St. Matthew's commentary in verse 46. Jesus in verse 42a, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The lawyers reply in verse 42b, The son of David. To which Jesus then says, quoting Psalm 110.1, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? That's verses 43, 44, and 45. After this, Matthew includes the summary in verse 46. No one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone ask him, anyone question him anymore. The Collect for 19th Sunday after Trinity, the last in this episode, was adapted by Archbishop Cranmer for the 1549 Book of Common Prayer, as were so many others from the Gelasian Sacramentary. The reference in the current text to the Holy Spirit was added in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. The purpose may have been to tie the Collect more closely than the original text, to the epistle and gospel readings for the day. 
Once again, the collect repeats the traditional teaching on the sovereignty of God as the author and source of all good things. O God, forasmuch as without thee we are not able to please thee, mercifully grant that thy Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The illustration is a detail from the healing of the paralytic man, a 1780 A.D. engraving by Prussian artist Bernhard Rodi. The healing is the subject of the Gospel reading for 19th Sunday after Trinity. The Epistle reading for 19th Sunday after Trinity returns to the previous pattern based on the Gelasian Sacramentary. In Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32, one of the longest pericopes in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, St. Paul teaches the Ephesians another lesson in the Christian virtues, urging putting on of the new man and abandoning of the old of the Gentiles. As he frequently does throughout his epistles, St. Paul lectures on the development of Christian virtues, a concept more extensively developed in the 6th, 7th, and 8th centuries in both the Western and Eastern Church traditions. He counsels them to control passions, also called lusts, arising from the entire spectrum, from bodily lusts or sexual immorality to excessive desire for material things, otherwise known as greediness, or corrupt language. In verse 32, the closing verse in the pericope, he offers sound counsel still valid in the 21st century in words which tie his teachings to the message of the gospel concept of salvation through Jesus Christ. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The authors of the Book of Common Prayer return to the theme of forgiveness again in the Gospel reading for 22nd Sunday after Trinity with St. Matthew's account of the Jesus-Peter Dialogue on Forgiveness. The illustration is an illumination of a standing St. Paul holding a scroll from the Siegberg Lectionary, made at the 11th century Benedictine Abbey of St. Michael, Siegberg, Germany, in the second quarter of the 12th century. It is part of the extensive Harley Manuscripts Collection in the Byzantine Illuminated Manuscripts Archive at the British Library, London, England. Siegberg is near Bonn in northwest Germany. The Gospel reading for 19th Sunday after Trinity is again, is again from the Gospel of St. Matthew. A short pericope from Matthew 9, verses 1 to 8. The location is the western side of the Sea of Galilee at Capernaum, or his own city in verse 1, and in St. Mark's account in Mark 2, 1 to 12. The audience includes the disciples, a paralytic man, and a group of scribes, meaning men associated with the Pharisees and the governance of the temple. For this pericope, we go backwards in time to late 27 AD, the early days of Jesus' public ministry. 
The illustration is healing the paralytic man mentioned earlier by the Prussian artist Bernhard Rodi, engraved in 1780 AD with details based on the much longer account in Mark 2, 1 to 12 and Luke 5, 17 to 26. Two recurring themes of the Gospel of St. Matthew are Jesus' nativity and life, both as fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and demonstrations of his divinity. In this pericope, St. Matthew's focus is not on the details of the healing, but on the meaning. He shows Jesus as compassionate to a paralytic man whose friends have brought him to Jesus. Here it is the faith of his friends that is critical. When Jesus in St. Matthew's words, quote, saw their faith, he said in verse 2b, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. St. Matthew follows with three demonstrations of Jesus' divinity. The first is knowing the unspoken thoughts of the scribes when he notes in verse 4, why do you think evil in your hearts? The second is his assertion of the power given to him by the Father to forgive sins. In verse 4b, Jesus said, For which is easier to say, your, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And the third is healing by his word only, saying to the paralytic man in verse 6, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. As he frequently did in his Gospel, St. Matthew offers a closing summary in verse 8 of the people's reaction when the healed man walked away. They, quote, marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. This completes the discussion of 16th through 19th Sundays after Trinity. The opening and closing theme music for Trinity Tide, the teaching season, is Reginald Heber's hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, written in 1827 A.D. It is ably played for us on his church organ by Richard M.S. Irwin. His recording is available for download and use in local services from his new dedicated web address, and the details are important, https colon slash slash play dot hymns without words dot com. I thank Richard for granting permission for its use. The Anglican Internet Church offers many other resources for words and phrases in the Collect Epistle and Gospel readings and my discussion of them in this episode. All are available 24-7 on our website, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. In the AIC Bookstore publication, Layman's Lexicon, you will find Christology on pages 38 to 39, Faith on pages 73 to 74, Fear of the Lord on 76 to 77, Heart on one, pages 104 to 105, 
Theophany on pages 222 to 224. Virtue, or virtues in the plural, on pages 234 to 235. And wisdom on pages 238 to 240. In Christian spirituality, an Anglican perspective, there are two views of heart by Archbishop Cranmer and the Blessed Lancelot Andrews, and they are found in Part 1. Like all our books, Layman's Lexicon and Christian Spirituality and Anglican Perspective are available through the virtual bookstore links link at the bottom of the homepage at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. They can also be ordered by title from commercial bookstores. On the podcast homilies page are links for my homilies for 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th Sundays after Trinity. The homily for 17th Sunday after Trinity includes a discussion of three Old Testament and two New Testament parallels on the subject of humility, which is the focal focus of the gospel lesson for that day. The homily for 18th Sunday after Trinity includes a discussion of the scholarly calculation of the Pharisees that there were 613 commandments. On the Bible study page, in the Bible study series New Testament Gospels from the Gospel of St. Matthew, there is an account of the dialogue with the scribes about the meaning of Psalm 110 verse 1, and that is found in episode 5. And from the Gospel of St. Luke, the raising of the son of the widow of Nain is discussed in episode 17. On the digital library page, under the category of seasonal videos, I explore several key theological words used in this episode in the series, The Twelve Days of Christmas. On the tenth day, January 3rd, the key word is commandments. On the eleventh day, January 4th, it is glorifying God, mentioned in St. Luke's account of the raising of the widow of the son of the widow of Nain. And Twelfth Day, January 5th, where the key words are grace and faith, the latter mentioned in the discussion of the healing of the paralytic man. Finally, other AIC resources include Father Ron's blog, a page in which I post new information, usually weekly, generally including at least one graphic from our Archive of Historic Church Art, from the Western and Eastern Church traditions. You can reach the page by clicking the Father Ron's blog tab from the site menu at the top or the bottom of the page, or you can enter the direct URL address http colon slash slash www.anglicaninternetchurch.net slash blog, B-L-O-G in lowercase letters. Once you're on the blog page, I invite you to become a follower by clicking the Follow Internet Anglican Internet Church Legend. You'll be asked to enter your email address to receive notice of each new posting from our host site, WordPress.com. Thank you for joining me for Episode 7 in Trinity Tide, the Teaching Season. Next time in Episode 8, the focus will be on the 20th, 21st, 22nd, and 23rd Sundays after Trinity. Until next time, may the Lord keep you, bless you, and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.